0: Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. It is Tuesday afternoon, and we are on a more regular schedule this week than we've been in a little while, so we're actually recording on a Tuesday afternoon. So I am here today, as always, with my Draft Deep Dives co-host, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing today?
1: Uh, Nick, I'm fantastic. Finals out of the way, eagerly awaiting this
0: Timberwolves-Clippers
1: matchup, which I just have horrible feelings about, Um, but excited to talk about these two guys today. Mm. Playoffs, what's that like? I barely know. I barely know. <laughs> yes, yeah, like,
0: of all the people to ask, he's like, actually, he probably is about as
1: unaware of this as I am. Yeah, I, 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 I'm very unfamiliar. We, I, I, we, we had a brief
0: little date with it, and uh, we're quickly kicked to the curb. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler experience, you know, got you there, but didn't last all that long. Yeah, it is pretty much the, the typical Tibbs and Jimmy pairing. So, you know, at least they're consistent. So instead of talking about the NBA playoffs, we're going to talk about something which our favorite NBA teams are far more familiar with, namely NBA draft prospects. And we're going to start off today by talking about the subject of your most recent Friday Screener article over at No Ceilings NBA. And that is Turquavion Smith out of North Carolina State, who I think is one of the more interesting evaluations in this class because he has a few... Really high-level skills and a few serious problem areas in his game, but the high-level skills are definitely interesting, and I think are certainly enough for him to get draft consideration. But why don't you start us off by sort of talking us through what you saw in Torquayian Smith's scoring, as you wrote about in that Friday's Granger piece?
1: Yeah, he's he's. Re- I think the way you said it of him being one of the more kind of difficult evals of this draft class is kind of right on the nose because when you look at him it's you know he's 6'4 but he's 160 pounds and I I hate the oh he's skinny argument or he always too skinny to play but it, it is a factor and I do expect him to get bigger and get stronger like all teenagers inevitably do but in the short term here it is going to be a big hindrance on him and we really see that with his at-rim finishing Um, you know, in the, around the basket and non post-up situations, he's in the seventh percentile in scoring, not, not ideal, but when you look at the process of how he gets there, it's really encouraging because he's this really shifty ball handler. He's, he's got this really explosive vertical pop. I, I think his vertical athleticism is legitimate. It's quick. Um, he really gets off the floor quickly, but then once he gets to the rim, Not only does he struggle to finish through contact, but he frequently kind of avoids it where he's, you know, diverting his path to take the rounded arc around the defender instead of initiating the contact and, you know, going to the free throw line. And his low free throw rate was a really big concern for me as well. But that really kind of dynamic ball handling makes him, you know, intriguing getting to the rim, but really fascinating on the perimeter. And that's where, you know, it's his game reminds me a lot of Blake Wesley, at least offensively. But I trust Terquavion Smith's shooting far, far more. And the the quick trigger, the quick release, the ability to shoot off the catch, off the dribble, out of the pick and roll, out of iso. It's all really fascinating. So even though like physically, I think he's a couple years away from really contributing to an NBA rotation, I definitely think that he showed this year that there is for
0: sure an NBA guard there. It's funny because the player that we're going to talk about later in this podcast is sort of similar in the sense of being an incredibly skinny guard with a lot of versatility from three-point range. And that's really the place that is the most interesting to me with Turkwavion. He took eight three-pointers per game this past year, and he hit 37% of them. And there's no need to go into his two-point percentage from there. You know, no no real... (laughs) No real need to bring down the topic of the discussion here, but he's not just a three-point shooter who, you know, you leave him open. He's great on catch and shoots. He's someone who can use his handle to functionally get into three-pointers. He is, you know, someone who not quite the sort of Trey man level as we've discussed, but someone who can create space on his step backs and, you know, generate three-point looks for himself, as opposed to just purely relying on other players to get him the ball beyond the arc and have him fire up shots. Now, His willingness to fire up tons of shots is a bit more troubling inside the arc, but when you look at the volume that he puts up from three point range at his thirty seven percent efficiency, that's really impressive given the kinds of three pointers that he takes, which is basically every kind of three pointer you can imagine. You know, cash and shoots from twenty five feet out, pull up jumpers, you know, basically off the dribble threes as well. Basically anything that he can create from long range, he will and. Inside the arc, as you've already brought up, is a little bit more of a struggle, but his versatility from three-point range is really intriguing to me.
1: Yeah, and he, he clearly wants to live in that three-point range. I mean, eight, according to Synergy, 83% of his jump shots came from three, and that's where you know the the on-ball self-creation uh, with step-backs, crossovers, really using uh, screens nicely, that's where that really comes into play. But then on top of that, I really like him as an off-ball shooter. Um, He doesn't move much because he is a point guard by nature, but when he was left open shooting off the catch, he was in the 97th percentile and 87th percentile overall shooting off the catch and the 93rd percentile in spot up scoring. So, you know, it's that, that shooting is really legitimate. And I think some of the, you know, concerning percentages that we saw from him are a real symptom of that shot selection that you hinted at. And that's. The the confidence is not lacking. Let's say no. Um, (laughs) Sometimes they, you know, when he's hot and that confidence uh, leads to some of the more impressive scoring performances we'll see. But then at the same time, he's frequently shooting his team out of games because he's just taking these really contested, you know, mid range pull ups and just these bad shots and not playing within the flow of the game. So that's that. That's my bigger concern with him is. Yeah, the strength or lack thereof is an issue with the rim, at rim finishing. But you know, he's going to mature. His body will mature. That should improve at least somewhat. But can those really bad habits of just taking whatever shot he wants, whenever he wants, how realistic is it that that can be worked out? And over the past couple of years, you know, I feel like we've seen kind of a fifty fifty split in guys being able to do that. And the ones who stick around are the ones who are able to kind of mold their game. To fit within the rotation. And the ones we kind of fail to hear from are
0: the ones who are incapable of doing that. It's really interesting to me that North Carolina State had two of the more interesting and difficult guard evaluations in this class with Darian Sebron, who's almost the exact opposite of (laughs) Turquivion Smith, just an absolute monster finisher around the rim, gets to the basket pretty much at will and scores there pretty regularly once he gets there. And then Turquayvian Smith being this absolute bomber from three-point range who, once he gets inside the arc, is a little bit more troubling, certainly. But it is really funny that they had both of those guys, and also that towards the end of the season, they sort of went in opposite directions, and the NC State team sort of followed Sebron in a dip down the stretch run of the season, where they were a pretty solid team early on, and then they lost like nine of their last 10 games or something like that, so... It is interesting that they both played on the same team and have such diametrically opposite games. Yeah, and I and I I wouldn't be surprised if
1: Smith eventually if his at rim stuff eventually starts to mirror Sebron's because I think they kind of have that similar first step. Um I think they have that similar vertical pop at the rim and you know Smith isn't shy about trying to dunk it on guys every now and then. It's just when I guess w- when when he does that it's more so when the helps help side rotation is a step late on their rotation. And if the guy's already there, that's when he's really kind of contorting his body in these weird ways that, you know, really affect his shot. And then instead of just dribbling out or kicking out, he's throwing up these wild one-handed flip hook shots that have no chance of going in. And I'm sure as a coach are absolutely infuriating to watch. So it's, that kind of lack of craft and creativity and ability to improvise once that legitimate rim protector is there and in the NBA he's going to be facing that on a nightly basis so you know I I think the shooting will translate pretty easily especially the off-ball stuff but whether a team is going to be patient enough to let his body mature and develop while also kind of working through those kinks and those bad habits you know I think it could pay dividends, but we rarely see NBA teams willing to put that level of investment into these young prospects.
0: So let's go to his pick and roll scoring next, because you mentioned earlier on that he sort of has point guard instincts in a lot of ways, even though he is someone who is not afraid to put up shots at all. And with his pick and roll game, there are certainly some concerns in the sense that his finishing is not all that great, which I've obliquely hinted at and you've abjectly stated. So, you know, less, less obliquely hinting here, but when he does run pick and roll, he's someone who you definitely worry about, especially in high screens, because he's such an adept shooter from long range. But, you know, as you mentioned, his lack of size does kind of limit his finishing and that is certainly a bit of a concern with his pick and roll game but the flip side of course is if he can bulk up a little bit and make slightly better decisions as a shooter inside the arc he could do some serious damage given his vertical pop as you mentioned and you know his shot coming along from the mid-range you mentioned his floater in the article which is decent but not great but Given his shooting touch and his presumed ability to put on size later on in his career when he's not a skinny teenager, there is something there. But as you mentioned, the question is, will he get enough opportunities with the ball in his hands to grow into that kind of player? Yeah,
1: he's he's got a really interesting kind of like uh, pick and roll breakdown in terms of his scoring numbers, because when you just look at it, when he dribbles off the pick, he's in the 22nd percentile when he takes a runner when doing that is in the 58th percentile but the fifth percentile when he takes it to the rim. So it's almost the inverse of the Kennedy Chandler conversation that we had earlier this season where, you know, I I really kind of like Chandler's at rim finishing craft, but his size really limits him and he doesn't have that floater to counter where Smith, even though the percentile rankings aren't elite, I do think that that runner is a legitimate tool. And if he can, you know, as he continues to develop his game, Continue to add more craft and, you know, fakes and hesitations to get into his floater or, you know, sell the floater and get to a layup. That's where I think that becomes a real tool because I I do think rim protectors will have to respect him in that kind of intermediate range where with like a guy like Chandler, they can just drop all the way to the rim and dare him to finish around them in some way. So the the percentiles aren't great, but again, I, I think a lot of it comes down to you know, besides the at rim stuff, I think a lot of it comes down to the shot selection and when you're just given that much of a green light over and over and over again, and you know, really never be reprimanded from it, it's tough to kind of suss out how legitimate are these scoring numbers, and is it just a symptom of this guy was given the green light to do whatever the hell he wanted, whenever he wanted, or is it this guy has no
0: discipline or recognition to how the game is flowing. It's interesting that you brought up the Kennedy Chandler conversation we had, because one thing they do have in common, which you've already mentioned earlier, is Turquavion did not get to the free throw line basically at all this season, Point one eight eight free throw rate, which given how often he shot the ball is astoundingly low. Yeah. And, you know, as you mentioned, the difference between him and Chandler is he has a Decent, you know, again, not fantastic floater, but he is a decent floater and he uses it often enough that there's at least something in that mid range game as opposed to just daring him to get all the way to the basket. But hopefully, this is something that comes with him bulking up and feeling more able to challenge at the rim more frequently. But that kind of free throw rate is just not going to cut it unless he gets dramatically better from the mid range as a pull up guy, in addition to his floater, which As you already mentioned, with his jump shooting, he took basically all of his jumpers from three-point range, which is really great in one sense, given that that's the strongest part of his game, and he did very well in that area, given how many shots he put up from long range. But his relative lack of a mid-range game, it's not as bad as Chandler, but the lack of getting to the free throw line is sort of in a similar vein that is troubling when you're thinking of him as sort of a primary guy who's going to be hopefully running a lot of pick and rolls.
1: Yeah. And I I wasn't surprised when I was going through the piece, I wasn't shocked by that low of, you know, at room finishing. That didn't surprise me given his size. And it's just a symptom of what happens. But when you pair that with that low of a free throw rate, that's where it really concerns me because that means he's actively going out of his way to avoid contact. and. Mm -hmm when you're really altering your shot like that, when you don't have the mindset of, okay, I'm confident to go into this guy. I'm confident to play physical and draw a foul, um, or at least try to, even though I'm not going to get it every time. When that's not there, I'm not sure how easy that is to teach. And, you know, really teaching and changing mindsets is so much more difficult than adding muscle or teaching a skill. So, you know, when it comes to his development, I think getting rid of those bad habits while also changing his playing style from of more finesse. Let me finish around you in some acrobatic way to let me go into your chest, negate your shot blocking ability, and hopefully draw some contact and initiate a foul. That's a really big pivot in play style, especially for someone his size. If he was 180 pounds right now, then be like, okay, I I think with a little more direction, a little more, you know, Hey, make sure you do this over and over and over again. I think you can kind of make it more realistic, but when he's that small already and his play style is that so ingrained in how he operates on a possession by possession basis, that's where it's like, okay, is this guy ever going to be a legitimate threat inside the paint or inside the arc?
0: Well, the one area where he is a legitimate threat inside the paint is in transition where, as you mentioned, his vertical pop is a huge help for him in terms of, you know, getting up and dunking all over people, but he's also really quick out in transition, which is a huge help. It's interesting because the parts and tell me if you feel differently, but the parts of his game that I think are the most intriguing are the off ball parts of his game where he's such a great spot up guy and, you know, he can self-generate three pointers, but he's also really good on spot ups. And if you're basically just relying on him as a spot up guy and someone who can run out in transition, you know, he was in the 77th percentile as a transition scorer. Those are areas where he really excels. And maybe his sort of long-term ceiling is highest if he spends a lot of time on the ball, but he's already so good at the off-ball stuff that you mentioned Blake Wesley as a potential comp. And the big difference for me is Dr. Smith put up a ton of three-pointers and knocked down 37% of them, which I think is higher than Blake Wesley's field goal percentage overall. So not great for Blake Wesley, but You know, the fact that he's such an adept scorer from long range already and is also such a threat in transition, it makes me wonder if maybe his ceiling would be highest if he's on the ball a lot more. But certainly if he, you know, sticks around as a low end rotation guy, it'll be because of what he does off the ball.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a really, really smart and important point, because whenever we talk about any of these guys reaching their 80th or 90th percentile outcome, that you know, inherently comes with a lot of on-ball reps. And for some guys, that's more realistic than others. And for Smith, I I do think it is realistic that he gets there with those on-ball reps. But, you know, to develop into that, you have to get on-ball live reps and live experience. And the way he's going to get that early in his career is by being that off-ball scorer. Because, you know, and I, I, I... This is going to be a fine line to parse because I like him. I love him as an off-ball shooter. I hate him as an off-ball mover. He doesn't relocate super well or consistently. Um, There were a couple where he had drives, you know, kicked it back out, relocated to the corner, and knocked it down that I thought were pretty nice. But he doesn't cut much, if ever. I believe it's really low. Sorry, looking up numbers one second. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so according to Synergy, Smith had three Three. possessions that ended in a cut. Not ideal. He scored on none of them. Correct. Um, So not not great. But early in his career, if he's in that ninety seventh percentile shooting or you know hitting open catch and shoot threes and running in transition that you know that efficiently, you you can do something with that and then use him as a secondary or third or tertiary you know playmaker, a ball handler, running them off DHOs and stuff. So. If he's if, if he proves to be effective knocking down open threes, that will help him get minutes early on, which will then feed into
0: more on ball and more kind of live rep development opportunities. And the other thing with him on the ball, which you also mentioned in the piece, is he was an incredibly effective isolation scorer as well which it's interesting that so many of his possessions were in the pick and roll where he was nowhere near as effective. But he just, if he just got his guy one-on-one, he was incredibly effective in those situations, which that's also promising for his sort of long-term development, even if he's not the primary guy, if he's someone who you can rely on to beat his man off the dribble most of the time in isolation, while also hopefully getting better at moving off ball to get himself more open for spot-up looks from three – that makes him a lot more dangerous than just someone who's okay-ish with the ball in his hands as a pick-and-roll guy.
1: Yeah, besides the shot selection in isolation, the you know when he scored, it, it looked really incredible because that's where he really gets to highlight his quick twitch movements, his quick crossovers. Um, he doesn't generate Trey Mann-esque space on his step backs, but his... That's anyone. No, because Trey Man's perfect and no one can touch him. But Smith's release is so freaking quick that he doesn't need to really generate much, and he never hesitates, which is another you know huge plus and feeds back into that confidence. Um, you know, it can be a pro, it can be a con. We're, we're living in a world of nuance, but mm-hmm. that that ability that his shooting release, and this is one of my issues with Malachi Branham, is that. Branham's release is so consistent and high but it's really slow and I worry about that on his you know mid-range pull-ups and stuff when Smith is knocking down pull-up jumpers that ball is out of his hands lightning quick and it's consistent every single time which I think is such a just it's just a really special skill for someone
0: his age all right, let's move on to the second prospect that we're going to discuss today. So Terquavion Swift was your most recently covered player in your most recent Friday Screener article. And the last player that I covered over at No Ceilings NBA was Tevin Brown out of Murray State, who, as I sort of obliquely hinted at earlier, He is very similar to Turquavion Smith in the sense that he's a very skinny guard who put up a ton of three-pointers, but there are a couple of main differences. The most obvious one being that Tevin Brown has played four years at Murray State, and he's been consistently putting up and knocking down three-pointers for the entirety of that time. Over his four-year college career, he has averaged 7.3 three-point attempts per game, and he's knocked down 39% of them. So pretty good in that regard. And he also, and this is a bit of a deviation from what we've seen from Turquayvian Smith, he's really effective inside the arc as well. His two-point percentage, just a hair over 50%, and he's only taking four and a half of them per game for his college career. So far more of a three-point heavy sort of offensive attack than beyond Smith. But Tevin Brown in a similar way, is an incredibly versatile three-point shooter. He's good from basically every three-point category you can imagine, except off the dribble three-pointers where he's just barely below average in the 45th percentile. But I talked about him enough to start off. What are your thoughts on what you've seen from Tevin Brown, both this year and sort of throughout his college career? I, I
1: was really excited when you wrote about him. Um, I've had him as a top 60 guy for most, if not all of the season. And, you know, when, when we talk about three and D prospects. I I think Brown is, you know, right at the kind of top of the list for that. The, the, the shooting is the obvious selling point and, you know, 85th percentile and spot up 80th percentile and all jump shots, 84th percentile shooting off the catch and 92nd percentile shooting off the catch when he's left open. So, you know, when you think about so many of these, drive and kick NBA offenses. And if your point guard or your wing is kicking out to Tevin Brown, you're going to be really happy with that. And, you know, according to Bartorovic, um, players who are at least 6'5", and shot at least 13 three-pointers per 100 possessions, and shot over 38% from three, Tevin Brown was one of 18 players. And I promise that you have no idea who the other 17 players are. Uh, They will not be considered draftable or summer league or playing in the nba so you know it's just a really special and important skill that we see utilized in every single nba offense now i don't think brown is going to have much on ball equity or you know really attack the rim a whole lot but i don't think he's ever going to be asked to and if all he's ever asked to do is knock down open threes off the catch
0: i I think he's going to provide tremendous value the main thing I think that differentiates Tevin Brown and Turquavion Smith in terms of their three-point shooting is Tevin Brown is really good off-ball at getting himself open. Yeah. And yeah. that's going to be huge. That's going to be huge at the NBA level is just his ability to get himself open from long range because he's deadly. And again, as we've already covered, basically every long-range category you can imagine. The interesting part, though, is that you know he is pretty solid around the rim, which is Mm -hmm. not necessarily what you'd expect from someone who you think of as a pure three and D type guy. And I agree with you in the sense that he's not going to be someone who has the ball in his hands a ton. He's probably not going to be someone who's relied on as a primary or even secondary creator, but he's also someone who, if you force him off the three point line, he's not totally useless. He's A solid passer. He's been a solid passer throughout his career. He, again, has shot above 50% from two point range during his college career, which is pretty good for a skinny guard who takes most of his shots from long range. And, you know, that I think is going to be key because he's not someone necessarily like, and I always go back to this example and I feel a bit bad about it, but someone like a Troy Daniels, right, who can only shoot. And if you force him off the line, uh, that's kind of about it. And, if you look at his defense, you probably don't want to look at his defense for very long. And there are some very good signs about Tevin Brown's defense beyond just looking at the film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's going to be critical for him, obviously, because if he can't defend, then he wouldn't be able to stay on the floor. But it's not just that he's a 3D guy. I mean, that's what will get him drafted, and that's what will get him to stick in an NBA rotation. But he also isn't someone who you worry about when they're forced off the three-point line. You can trust that he'll either kick the ball out to somebody else or drive to the rim and get a decent look off. Maybe it's not you know the best look that you're going to get in your offense, but if he's forced off the line and there's not much time left on the shot clock, you can trust that he's not just going to fling up something wild that has no chance of going in.
1: Yeah, I I think that, I feel like whenever we talk about these off ball shooters, and, you know, Brown is a really good movement shooter. So I want to circle back to what you mentioned first, and that's his off ball movement. And this season, he ran off screens 29% of the time and ranked in the 74th percentile in scoring. That That's an elite number for that volume. And his ability to do that, I feel like whenever we talk about these guys, we frequently think of, oh, they're just running off pin downs and they're chucking it every single time. But I, I really like Brown's discernment in whether to, whether to shoot, whether to pump fake, give it up and cut, or in just variations off that. It doesn't feel like he always forces the shot. And it's almost Duncan Robinson-esque when you kind of envision that Duncan Robinson, Bam bio DHO that they always run. And just that decision making, it's it's a lightning quick, he doesn't hesitate and he frequently makes the best decision out of that. And it kind of circles back to what we talked about when we talked about Igbaji. And Mm -hmm. if you just run the shooter off the line, what can they do? And for a lot of guys, it's nothing. And when it is nothing, that's those are the elite shooters that get phased out Mm -hmm. of the NBA immediately. And I don't think Brown falls into that category. So I'm I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I don't think he has on-ball equity and I don't think he's going to be this creator. But he's not dead in the water if he gets run off the line because he's giving it up. He's taking a three-dribble pull-up. He's, he,
0: he knows what to do because he has that maturity and awareness to his game. And even though he probably won't have much on ball equity in the NBA, he also was in the 81st percentile as a scorer out of the pick and roll. So Mm -hmm. again, not something that he's going to be doing a whole lot of, but you know, it's another sort of log to add in terms of fuel to the fire of the fact that he's someone who can do something when he is forced off the line. He's not I mean, he's going to be drafted based on his three-point shooting, but he's not just purely a shooter. He's someone who can make a good decision with the ball in his hands or can drive to the rim with decent efficacy rather than just, you know, he's forced off the line and he's sort of trapped in no man's land with no idea what to do 20 feet from the rim. Yeah. And I, I kind
1: of want to get a better sense of how you feel about his defense because I, I think it's good. Um you know not not elite but not like it's oh he's a shooter just he can't do anything else i i actually really like his defense and i i do think he's a legitimate two-way wing so just real quick uh, according to Bartorovic's database that goes back to 2008 i believe um i just ran a quick filter of guys with a block percentage over 2 steal percentage over 2 three point attempts per 100 possessions over 13 Height of 6'5 or taller and three-point attempts or three-point percentage of 38 or higher. And Tevin Brown is one of 16 players since 2008 to reach those benchmarks. Um, Other players include RJ Hunter, Caleb Martin, um, Torrey Craig, and a bunch of guys you've never heard of. So, you know, those are guys who are legit NBA players who have made a two-way impact, not at a super high level, but they're guys who every rotation needs because they do a little bit of everything and they excel at shooting, but then they can also be a positive defensively.
0: So I'm kind of curious where you're at with him as a defender. I think that you said it right at the very top. He's a good defender. He's not Elite. There are some statistical indicators that do think of him as elite. He is ridiculously high ranked in terms of things like defensive win shares. He was 16th in the entire NCAA this past season. Ooh. He's sixth in career defensive win in the history of the Ohio Valley Conference. And you know, as you mentioned with those steal and block rates, he's someone who can put up numbers on the defensive end. He's also an exceptional rebounder for his size position and just general skinniness. And I mean, he just gets in there and mixes it up for rebounds. His defensive rebounding rate for you know the kind of player he is was really incredible. The thing that worries me the most is he puts in the effort defensively, but he just gets leveled on a lot of screens. And Unlike with say Terquavion Smith, where okay, he's a 19 year old, you know, you can expect him to grow into his frame. Tevin Brown's already 22, so you know, getting in an NBA weight training program will definitely help. It'll be huge for him, but you know, he's already in his 20s and is 6'5 and 175 pounds, and even that feels generous. So, in terms of defensive effort and defensive ability, I think he's very, very good. But in terms of you know actual defense out on the floor, I am worried that bigger wings in the NBA are just going to maul him. And unlike with teenagers, you know, it's a little harder. It's still valid to make the argument that he will do better once he gets an NBA weight training program, and it'll be easier for him to pack on pounds in that kind of environment. But it's not like, oh, he's a teenager, he'll grow into his body. He's already 22 years old, and still very, very skinny. So Screen navigation is the thing that worries me the most about his defense, but in terms of the effort, you know, certainly you can see that in terms of his defensive rebounding, but he's also someone who does really well at jumping passing lanes and blocks more shots than you'd expect. So I think that he'll get better in terms of his frame at the NBA level, but that's a concern. I mean, he has pretty narrow shoulders. There's only so much weight that he's going to be able to pack on. Yeah,
1: and I just... When I went through his tape and over, throughout the season watching him, it was always the off-ball defense that really stood out to me and the way that he rotated and tagged and just was always in the right spot and, like you said, just frequently jumping passing lanes. Um, I, I think as a team defender, that's where he could really shine. It's it's that on-ball stuff and the lack of muscle and strength and is, are these bigger wings just going to overpower him? which is a legit concern, and I, I think it was really smart that you pointed it out because having an 18-year-old be 165 pounds and a 22-year-old be 175 pounds, that's a pretty big gap, and you you would yeah. have hoped for that to jump up to 190-ish at least. So it, it will be really interesting to see how his body kind of grows in the next couple of years because it definitely needs to,
0: especially from
1: an on-ball defensive perspective.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's if he doesn't put on a significant amount more weight, he's pretty much positionally locked defensively to the guard spots because bigger wings are just going to destroy him. And, you know, this is something we talk about all the time of, you know, oh, wouldn't it be nice for Cade Cunningham or Luka Doncic to have someone who guards ones and plays sort of an off-guard role on the offensive end? And that's definitely a role that Tevin Brown can fulfill, I think, but... He's quick-ish, but I don't think he's quick enough to deal with the fastest players at the NBA level, and he's nowhere near big enough to be someone you can trust to throw on a bigger wing. I mean, I just think about someone like Harrison Barnes, say, who would just absolutely destroy him in the post. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's a bit of a problem if you're someone who's going to be a 3-and-D wing. He's kind of more of like a 3-and-D guard and really it's just going to be if he can put on a little more weight that'd be great but he's never going to be someone who you put in as a small ball four or anything like that
1: yeah and it if he doesn't get stronger and again caveat i expect him to at least somewhat but yeah not not as much as i expect her smith to to grow um but if he doesn't then i don't see how he guards really anyone other than like a two guard and because I I generally like his on-ball footwork and the way he moves but I don't think he's quick enough to keep up with most point guards and then if you switch him on to a three or four like you said they can easily just kind of back him down into the mid post and I'm just envisioning Paul George knocking you know mid-range turnaround over and over and over again after get moving Brown to wherever he wants him so it, it will. it's going to be really, really interesting to see how he develops as a defender, um, because without that muscle, I, I think it could be a really tough defensive matchup, despite how well he moves and just kind of his general off-ball awareness.
0: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I don't want to sound too negative on his defense, because he already does have... He really does have great moments on the defensive end. And, you know, he's someone who, especially if you're putting him against a two guard, I think he'll be really effective in that kind of role. It's just that, as you mentioned, a lot of what he does best on the defensive end is what he does off ball. And if he can't really switch, then that does lower his efficacy as an off ball player. But, you know, when he does really get into his man, he really can do well on the defensive end and does often do well on the defensive end. It's just that the biggest issue that he had as a defender at the college level is going to be even more of a difficulty at the NBA level, which is just, he's not that big. And his frame suggests that he might not be able to get that much bigger, but I believe that he'll get a little bigger. I mean, it'll be really difficult for him not to at least put on some weight in an NBA weight training program. And again, if he's only someone who can guard ones and twos and not all ones, but he can be as effective of a shooter as he is, and he can continue to jump passing lanes, which, as I've mentioned time and time again, steal rates are one of the easiest translations from the college level to the NBA level. It's like 90-ish percent in terms of your steal rate in college is basically going to be what it is at the NBA. He's someone who can provide that sort of havoc-wreaking off-ball defense, and he is pretty effective in most situations when he's on ball. But again, it's just that his biggest weaknesses are going to be easier to exploit at the NBA level than they were at college. But that doesn't mean that he's not a good defender. And that certainly doesn't mean that I think he will be less than an average at worst defender at the NBA level, which is right about where he was, according to Synergy, at the college level.
1: Yeah, I I think it is really important to point out that we're really nitpicking his on-ball defense here, and if he does get to a point where other teams are scheming to mismatch him on their wings and trying to play him off the floor, then that means that he's reached such an incredible offensive level that he's getting huge minutes. So if he gets to that point, his career is already a huge, 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 huge success because that means he's probably playing 20 to 25 minutes. Um, But yeah, so just I, I do think in the grand scheme of things, given what his role will probably be, I think his off-ball er, off defense um, being such a positive, combined with that off-ball shooting and scoring on the offensive end, should be enough to at least f- carve out some sort of role in a rotation.
0: Yeah, I mean, with Kevin Brown, the ceiling that we're expecting is not that he's going to be a starter type, right? It's just going to be, he's going to be somewhere towards the back end of the rotation. And it's really just, you know, is he going to be like a seventh, eighth man? Or is he going to be like a shooting specialist that sits on the end of the bench? And I think that his ability to keep an offense going, even if he's forced off the three-point line, his incredible shooting ability in basically every way that you could be a long-range threat And his really solid defense, especially in terms of his off-ball defense, I think that's going to be enough for him to carve out a rotation spot. And, you know, when you're talking about probably the back end of the second round is where he's likely to get drafted, vast majority of those guys don't even make the NBA at all, right? But Mm -hmm. with Tevin Brown, I think that he has skills in areas that are so important to modern NBA rotations that – it's hard for me to imagine him not at least getting a shot. And if he does get a shot, I think it'll be pretty easy for him to stick around in a rotation because he does a lot of things that a lot of teams need.
1: Yeah. And it, it's, I'm sorry to pivot back to the Timberwolves, but it, re- it reminds me a lot of Malik Beasley. And, you know, I, I think Brown is slightly less of a prolific shooter than Beasley, but slightly better of a defender and if he can kind of find that balance and play that type of role i'm not saying that brown necessarily has to be or reach that same level that malik beasley did because beasley was one of the most prolific volume three-point shooters the second half of the season but if he can fill that similar type of role um you know every nba team needs and wants guys like that so there's definitely a spot for him all right anything else you want to go over before we wrap things up here I don't believe so. I should have something on Malachi Branham's passing this Friday and just go check out and subscribe and read and watch and listen to everything, No Ceilings. All right.
0: He is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. And you can find his work, of course, at No Ceilings NBA, as well as over at hashtag basketball and Canis Hoopas. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, and you can find my written work on No Ceilings NBA as well as Hashtag Basketball and Nets Republic. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. Always much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.